Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. We all talk about the, the gut-brain pathway, but there is actually a gut-lung pathway, which is just as well established, but not as well talked about. And we know if you have poor gut health, you actually get abnormal inflammatory bacteria leaking into the, uh, into the bloodstream and getting to the lungs as well. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. About food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor, I study nutrition, and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. Professor Robert is back on the podcast talking about all things to do with long COVID and some preliminary results from the UK's only COVID nutrition intervention trial, the Phyto-V study, a randomized double-blind placebo controlled trial evaluating the influence of a phytochemical-rich whole food capsule plus a probiotic capsule on clinical outcomes among individuals with COVID-19 viral infection. The hypothesis for the study is that starting a nutritional intervention in COVID-19 positive patients displaying symptoms could shorten the severity or duration of illness. This may or may not have an impact on long COVID and there are some anecdotes of benefit. However, we can't say for certain whether it's useful for everyone. I know what the next question is going to be what polyphenols were included in the supplement i hear you ask well the researchers used ones that show promise in other viral illnesses and are found in common foods including the flavanone polyphenol hesperitin found in citrus the anthraquinone derivative aloe emodium found in aloe vera quercetin a common flavonoid found in onions apple pomegranate and citrus apigenin a, poly, a polyphenol found in parsley chamomile tea and fruit curcumin obviously found in turmeric and a whole bunch of others as a reminder professor robert thomas is a consultant oncologist at bedford and Addenbrooke's hospitals a clinical teacher at cambridge university and visiting professor of sports and nutritional science at the university of bedfordshire he is lead of a lifestyle and cancer research unit and is medical advisor to the website cancernet.co.uk through his amazing work 
Professor Thomas has previously been awarded the British Oncology Association's Oncologist of the Year and the Royal College of Radiologists Medal. On today's podcast, you will learn about the details of the study that is yet to be published, the theory behind using a probiotic as well as a nutrient-dense supplement, the tips for COVID that are evidence-based, which actually could reduce severity, the new study looking at how to potentially enhance the antibody response of the immune system for the vaccine. Uh, Now, rather than to try and demonstrate the need for a supplement specifically, what Professor hopes to show is that using a polyphenol-rich diet may be beneficial to prevent prolonged COVID symptoms. The details for the trial and other trials that Prof is is mentioning here on, on the doc, are on the doxiskitchen.com. So, you know, do check out the podcast show notes. Um, we're doing another podcast with Prof uh, dedicated completely to his new book, How to Live, which I cannot recommend highly enough. It is fantastic. And I think it needs its own distinct episode to to dive into. So for now, please enjoy this conversation with Prof uh, Robert Thomas, but we will be chatting to him again soon. It's so much easier when I can cook for you. And you're here, you know, and I set up all the mics to you and everything. I bet you're missing that this time. It's uh, yes, and it's um, it's more enjoyable for me to to eat the food as well. Obviously, <laughs> have you cooked anything yet? I, I remember giving you my book. Well, I yes, uh, yeah. Uh, my wife's cooked a few meals, and I've uh, I've done one, okay. uh, and I bought an oven. So you, it's uh, things are changing. Brilliant, brilliant. Oh, it's nice to know you've got an oven. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's progress. <laughs> How have you been? Uh, yeah, very well. We're, we're busy in the hospital because we've opened up a lot mm. of the, uh, all the oncology patients which we've been put on hold with hormones and things delaying the treatment has all suddenly opened up all at the same time. So in, in typical NHS fashion, suddenly you've gone from having two or three patients in a, say, a radiotherapy clinic to having 25, you know. So we're, mm. we're, 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 we're rushing to get through the numbers, which is good. Uh, means we're, we're yeah. getting through the backlog. Um, yeah. But at yeah. the same time, COVID's not quite over, so we're dealing with those issues as well. So uh, And on the research side, there's still lots going on. Uh, as we'll no doubt talk about. Um, So yeah, yeah, it's all happening. Yeah, well, let's kick off with that because obviously I want to get to um, the amazing piece of work that you've done, um, your piece of literary work. But to start off, I think maybe we should talk about that that nutritional intervention trial that I was uh, fortunate to be be a contributor to. Thank you. So describe the trial to to Uh, me. Okay, so... um, as you know, we, we do a lot of lifestyle and exercise-related studies um, to do with cancer and other chronic diseases, which are more common after cancer. Um, but we've been you know, put on hold a bit. We had to cancel the start of a GAP4 study looking at exercise in prostate cancer. So we thought we'd use our resources to see if we can help with the fight against covid and it's very obvious from you know, writing my book and uh, looking at the literature already published and what we've learned over the last year, that although you can't blame anyone for, for catching COVID, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's affecting all types of people. There is clearly a correlation that if you have uh, different comorbidities, uh, you're more likely to suffer from it. 
Um, so, for example, in the New York, uh, last New York published data of the 23,000 people who unfortunately died of the disease, it was only 0.9%, so 98, who didn't have a comorbidity. So clearly comorbidities are very important in the severity of this disease, as well as age. But, you know, actually there are some data, you can be in your 80s without comorbidities, which is which is unusual, mind you, uh, where there's only about a 2% chance of mortality. So, um, so we were wondering in, in our trial whether you could change people's diets and lifestyle quick enough to have an influence on this pandemic and even have an influence on whether they've caught it already. So that's the, the basic hypothesis. So we randomised people to, uh, if they've had symptoms of COVID and a positive test, uh, we randomised them to, um, it was basically a food capsule which contained sort of healthy polyphenol-rich foods like, um, like aloe vera, pomegranate, turmeric, that sort of thing. And we gave both groups a probiotic supplement called Your Gut Plus was provided to us by the manufacturers. And we were looking to see of the duration of symptoms and whether they get readmitted to hospital and whether they pass the disease on to family members. And so, um, what was the name of this trial? It was, well, we, it, uh, there's a long name and there's a nickname as trials go. And we, we've nicknamed it the Phyto-V study, which is basically, you know, because of the phytochemicals we're hoping to enhance in the diets and the V stands for virus. Okay, so to summarise, you had patients who had symptoms and a positive um, PCR test, I'm assuming, um, proving COVID. And this was um, after they've had this and, and you gave, you randomised them to, to either the intervention, which was the high nutrient dense supplement plus probiotic or the placebo plus the probiotic. Yeah, that's correct. We, we actually started off with the pro probiotic um, randomised as well, um, but we recruited very slowly um, in the first six weeks because n nobody actually wanted an arm with potentially two placebos. And actually, once they started reading it, they saw that the, the probiotics were probably... A, a, a beneficial element, even though it's not been proven. So we had to change it. We had to do a trial submission and change it where we gave probiotics to both arms and just randomised the, the other food capsule. And the patients were much more satisfied to go into something uh, with their perception that, they were, that, that it was beneficial, whatever arm they ended up in. Yeah, that's always a tricky thing with trials, isn't it? You have to sort of convince them to want to go in the trial. And when they do a bit of reading, they're like, hang on a minute, uh, I kind of want that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and, and it's it can be frustrating because, you know, when you publish it, people will be saying, well, why didn't you randomise the both? But, you know, we are in a real world and we have to recruit mm. patients and we have to recruit patients quite quickly. So you have to compromise a little bit. But I still think the design is, is good. Mm. And, and before we talk about some of the preliminary results and, and, and what the stage of it is at the moment, moment what what was the thinking going in behind the um the phyto v elements so the the high phytonutrient dense um supplement that was given in addition to the probiotic and the treatment arm uh, well in our unit we've done quite a few studies using um supplements because in a, in a scientific perspective it's quite easy to quantify the, the food intake i mean we're not saying that supplements should replace a, a good diet like what you produce in your books uh, but on a scientific perspective it's easier and we did one called pommy tea which was for uh, prostate cancer and that was quite successful so we were, we've got quite a lot of experience in that and we know 
that they are a good way to increase what we call polyphenols in the diet. And these are the chemicals which give food the colour, smell and taste. And we know that these polyphenols have enormous health benefits. They help with uh, gut health by acting as prebiotics. Uh, they have direct anti-inflammatory uh, properties. They also enhance the antioxidant uh, pathways, but not by acting as direct antioxidants, um, which, which aren't good, like you know, vitamin A and vitamin E supplements. They just enhance the process. So they, they help uh, an individual create an inflammatory response when needed, and then um, downgrading it when it's not needed. Um, and in COVID, you know, a lot, if you look at the, the problems why people get this horrible cytokine storm, it's because they get this inappropriate excess and not very well-functioning inflammation. On, and on the same side, they're using up their oxidative pathways. And that's thought to be the mechanism of um, this, you know, the, the horrible lung disease, which is ultimately fatal. So that's what we're trying to stop in the acute phase. Um, and in the in the chronic phase, we know, well, we, we suspect the hypothesis is um, that you again, you again have this long standing excess inflammation combined with poor gut health. So it's hoping to sort of correct that. Mm, yeah, this this long COVID phase is something that I think um, warrants a lot more attention because by some conservative estimates, there's going to be a, around half a million people who have a post-viral syndrome that we've discussed in the podcast is this prolonged feature which is characterized in a lot of cases by fatigue, um, lack of lack of energy, brain fog, um, uh, 50 plus symptoms that have been identified in a recent paper, um, but, uh, but of which people have a spectrum. Some people might have that for four to six weeks. Other people are still suffering with it even now, a year on. Mm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, when we started the study, we thought we'd get people, you know, within four weeks of an acute infection. But people were coming forward uh, up to three or four months later saying you know, their joints are aching. And as you say, uh, at the end points, it's difficult to sort of, uh, I'm not sure if we'll reach statistical significance because there's so many different endpoints in the long COVID. Some people say they're getting tinnitus, other people joint pains, other people rashes, still got bad taste. Um, I think we'll find a way of sort of grouping it together, and we're working with the statisticians now. But but you're right; it it's, it affects lots of people individually. The number one symptom, which it seems to affect everybody, is fatigue. And um, we've got a very sensitive measure of fatigue, as you know, because you were in the study. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, you know, I think that whenever there's something wrong with humans, we all tend to feel a bit tired. I think it's like a universal symptom of any disease, as far as I, I'm aware. Um, so hopefully we'll get an end point from that. Um, but, you know, there is, there, there is, my belief or my hypothesis is that gut health is a, a very common denominator for all these because as you know, um, if you have poor gut, you get a bit of a leaky gut, you get gaps opening up. So you get toxins going into your bloodstream, you create this chronic, um, you get this chronic excess inflammation. Uh, and then that triggers sort of uh, attack on your organs, your brain and your lung. Um, I mean, I recently gave a talk looking at the, we all, we all talk about the, the gut brain pathway, but there is actually a gut 
lung pathway, which is just as well established, but not as well talked about. And we know if you have poor gut health, you actually get abnormal inflammatory bacteria leaking into the uh, into the bloodstream and getting to the lungs as well. And when you when you take swabs of people's lungs, you find an abnormal microbiome of bacteria as well as the pathogenic viruses. Uh, and, uh, you know, that can keep the symptoms going. Uh, but, you know, it remains to be seen. We, we, we're seeing some excellent early results, uh, but it remains to be seen whether intervening in measures to improve gut health would shorten long COVID. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, I know we can't say for certain right now is that the, the intervention trial isn't over, but what sorts of responses have you had from people um, that you're aware of that might be on the, on the intervention arm of yeah, the Yeah, well, I can talk study. about uh, the open phase of the study because, as I said, the, the, the Your Gut Plus was, was, was selected uh, mainly to have lactobacillus um, on the grounds it was one of the safest uh, probiotics. Uh, you, you're very unlikely to get excess bacterial overgrowth with a lactobacillus. So it's the same sort of bacteria you get in um, kefir and milk and yogurts and things. Um, but there's five different strains. Um, and, but, and the important thing is it's mixed with a, with a, a prebiotic inulin, which, which supports them. So that's open. Um, and, you know, we've had emails from you know, across the country saying, you know, wow, I, you know, my cough hasn't got better or this hasn't got better. But, you know, my, my bowels feel so much better. I feel more comfortable. My fatigue's improved. So, you know, it remains to be seen st- statistically, uh, but I would be very surprised if not, because um, virtually everyone in the study has said, uh, who started off with symptoms? You didn't start off with many symptoms, so you can't get you even better. Uh, but m- most people... And, and as I said before this podcast started, um, a lot of people who've entered the study have a long history of... Um, you know, being on anti-indigestion medication, to have repeat endoscopies, um, history of, uh, you know, esophageal reflux, intermittent constipation and, and, and diarrhea. So all signs of long-term poorer gut health. And it's that group seems to, to me so far to have the best benefit, which makes sense really, isn't it? If you're, if you're starting on a lower standpoint you're more likely to improve yeah absolutely especially with a working hypothesis that it is to do with poor gut health if you're giving an intervention that could potentially alleviate that then it would stand to reason why you're seeing such uh incredible potential uh benefits yeah um and it's but it's not just about that the i mean if you go onto the trial website so it's phytov.com you will see the 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 hypothesis for the trial these these polyphenol rich foods actually in the last uh, SARS and previous flu outbreaks they have actually been shown to have very significant direct antiviral properties which may not be such a factor in the long covid because hopefully the viral virus is is sort of gone it's just a consequence of it um, but they show very clearly uh, in a number of different viruses to reduce viral replication, to reduce viral penetration into cells and viral sh- shredding. Uh, and that's been well reported. There's hundreds of papers showing that. Uh, but again, nothing yet in, in COVID. So that was the other reason for including those. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. So I had a conversation with Professor Altman about the potential mechanisms by which long COVID works. And one of the hypotheses 
is a is a, a dormant um, viral infection that sort of hangs around in a similar way to EBV. So if those phytonutrient uh, supplements are actually reducing viral replication, again, it stands to reason as to why that might also be having an effect as well. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's true. I mean, we, we were more thinking of the effect on the body rather in that in that group. Um, but yeah, that that would be that would be interesting as well. To we're not actually measuring the amount of viruses, though, so it would be hard to to prove that. Um, but yeah, that would that would be a factor. And and uh, you know, from my knowledge of of resistance um, and these new strains, is is it's probably coming from cases of long COVID, where where the virus is just hanging around and it's not quite being killed, and then it sort of mutates and then spreads out from there. So the sooner we knock long COVID on the head, the, the, le- the more likely these resistant strains aren't going to emerge, in my view. Yeah. I know we have to be very careful about making blanket recommendations for people with long COVID, but if there were some elements of the trial in its current standpoint that you think would be beneficial for people to know about, um, it sounds to me like you know, looking after your gut, using a high polyphenol-rich diet, and um, uh, maybe even some probiotics as well. Um, what other elements of the nutrient supplement do you think would might be beneficial? Um, yeah, I mean, as, as you say, you've got to be careful not to tell people not to get vaccinated and not to socially isolate, because uh, those are, you know, the number that's, you know, that's said, and, and, it's, and we're not blaming anyone. But I did do an evidence review um, on the Keep-Healthy website, which is, um, you know, what what have we learned so far in the last year? And none of it is is controversial, and most people would say it's it's common sense. But I tried to link it to references. Well, it is all linked to references, and there's there's a, there's about ten things we can we can concentrate on on a daily basis. So, you know, number one would be to try to reduce a bit of weight. If you're overweight, we know that obesity is is linked to a high higher risk of COVID. Um, of course, it's not easy to do that quickly, but you know, um, number one. Uh, the uh, concentrating on factors which improve gut health, so reducing processed sugar, eating live foods like kimchi, kefir, um, sauerkraut, etc. Eating you know polyphenol-rich foods such as uh, uh, anything in your book, basically you know herbs, spices, beans, nuts, etc. Exercise. We know that exercise is linked to um, improved gut health, uh, and there's various theories behind that. Um, vitamin D, I think it's pretty well accepted now that if you have low vitamin D, you have a higher risk of COVID and a more serious disease. There's not a lot of evidence that taking excess vitamin D will will improve you. But there was a study published uh, last week, in fact, from Cambridge, looking at the, um, the amount of vitamin D deficiency we have in the UK, and it's about 56%. So it's a fair bet that in the winter, you should be taking some vitamin D supplements. Um, Avoiding excess vitamin A and vitamin E supplement, which can actually be counterproductive. Um, and as you say, um, we want to improve gut health with these measures, but I believe there are some situations where probiotic supplements have a role. We know there are studies with athletes, for example, that if you take a probiotic, you're more likely, less likely to get a viral infection, which interrupts your training. Uh, we there are studies in school children showing it reduces the number of viral infections. Um, so if you 
think your gut health isn't perfect, a, a good quality probiotic supplement, I think, has a role. Um, I wouldn't go for a weird and wonderful one. I, as I said, in the study, we just chose the lactobacillus because it was safe. Um, then I'm just looking through my notes here. So yeah, making sure you have enough minerals and vitamins because you need minerals to enhance the antioxidant enzymes, particularly zinc, selenium, etc. But you can get that through a good diet. Um, making sure you have enough oily fish and there's a couple of things at the end. Psychological stress, of course, we always I always ignore. There are data to show that if you are stressed, that can affect your gut health. Uh, and there's even an interesting study I came across having hot and cold showers um, oh, is, really? is, um, is a good way to sort of increase the brown fat, which has the immune cells. So, uh, uh, um, so yeah, there's quite a few um, things. There's we quite can do. a few, yeah. And the reason for vitamin uh, A and E and, and how that might be counterproductive, is that because the virus can almost in, use those elements to enhance their uh, replication mechanism? Um, well, we need those two vitamins. Obviously, they're very important. In fact, a common cause of blindness across the world is vitamin A deficiency. So I'm not saying we shouldn't have a, enough of them. But the studies which have given vitamin A and vitamin E supplements have all been disappointing. In, in cancer, um, there was a big ABTB study from Scandinavia, which tried to look at the uh, risk of skin and lung and head and neck cancers. And it had to be stopped because actually in the A and E group, um, the, the number of cancers were increasing. In prostate cancer, we saw the same thing in the SELECT study, where there was an increased risk of, of uh, prostate cancer. And in, in, you know, as you know, I'm a, I'm, I do a lot with uh, sports medicine in the local university as well. And, um, you know, athletes sometimes think that taking these direct antioxidants would improve performance because when you exercise, you do increase free radicals initially, which can be damaging to tissue. So their hypothesis was if I took vitamin A and D, I wouldn't get these free radicals. But actually, all they do is they block the natural adaptive increase in antioxidant enzymes. So you may get an initial tiny benefit. But overall, what you want is exercise to improve antioxidant enzymes. And it was blocking that. So actually, sports performance was going down if you took those supplements. And that's been shown across the board. So, you know, I'm extrapolating those two data to COVID. Uh, but, you know, common sense tells us is eat those foods containing those vitamins, but don't take any extra because you might be doing more harm than good. I just want to pick up on the sports science element. I know we, I, I want to get onto some other subjects. I don't want to digress too much. But the um, the sports science uh, element really interests me because you can understand the um, the hypothesis behind or take some antioxidants that will reduce my injury and, and improve recovery. And that's been shown to be false because you need that sort of stress response. But what happens if you have uh, something like a beetroot juice or a high nitrate drink? How is that different to these supplements and does that have a ben overall beneficial effect or not? I, I definitely feel it's good if you're going to do strenuous exercise or even unaccustomed exercise, you really should enhance your diet before. You often, you know, you see people in gyms now, well, not now, <laughs> before COVID, um, you know, people walking around with, with tea in, in a flask. And I think that's, that's actually quite sensible. So you are seeing it coming through. You know, uh, cyclists are very keen on, 
on New Zealand blackberries or cherries, um, all of which are rich in, in polyphenols. And actually, there is a, there is a, there is a lot of um, evidence for that because... You know, the nihilists say, I don't know why you're talking about free radicals. Most free radicals are produced when you produce energy. It's part of the, if you remember your biochemistry from medical school, it's it's part of the uh, oxidative phosphorylation pathway. You get these free radicals going on. Uh, and then that those free radicals trigger the antioxidant enzyme pathway so you can create a balance. Of course, you need a balance. And if you take too much antioxidants, you get too little free radicals, which you need a bit of for cell uh, cell regulation. Um, but the beauty of, of polyphenol rich foods is they just help. They provide some of the basic building blocks of the antioxidant enzymes and immunity. But they more they, they trigger, they enhance the antioxidant response. But when you stop exercising or you don't, you're not exposed to, say, a carcinogen as much, it then helps to switch off that oxidative response so you don't get excess antioxidation so lots of negatives in that sentence uh, whereas vitamin a and e just literally directly kill the free radicals and they they stop the natural adoptive uh, antioxidant response i hope that makes sense that that makes a, a so much more sense and i think basically it's another argument for making sure you get whole foods uh, in its you know um form which has all those extra bindings to it rather than the singular supplement um in itself so yeah another argument for that um, yeah i mean i mean i think there's a role for whole food supplements which is basically just taking out the water and squeezing them into a pill but that's effectively a mm. food but you're, you're mm. right when you try to take out even when you try to take out individual polyphenols which people do with say lycopene in tomatoes there's never been a trial to show that lycopene for example stops you getting prostate cancer um or any other disease but there's been plenty of trials that concentrated tomatoes or lots of tomatoes do so you're absolutely mm. right you're better to take a whole food supplement or just the whole foods as well yeah absolutely do you think there are any other exceptions to that rule with regard to singular elements like um i'm just trying to think now uh, resveratrol for example or um it's it's there's not been a direct study looking at uh, any harmful effects of resveratrol i have to say um but you know there hasn't been many uh, you know, there's not many studies. When we did the POMI T study, we were probably one of the first clinically. Um, you know, I prefer to take my resveratrol in a nice glass of red wine, I have to say. Um, but, you know, there's more work needs to be that. You know, and it's not all vitamins. Vitamin D, for example, I'm a strong advocate yeah. of vitamin D supplements and, and also vitamin C. Um, you know, we should eat more fruit and fruit and veg, etc. But, uh, you know, there's not been a study unless you're on massive doses of vitamin C that it does any harm. Uh, I would say if you are to take a vitamin C supplement, take it with there's ones called citrus bioflavonoids, where they've actually which is which is the polyphenol, which is in the the the, the pulp and fiber of fruit which is an, an argument to take the whole fruit and not a fruit juice, by the way. Um, but if you are to take some, make sure you get vitamin C with citrus bioflavonoids because they're, those are the things which also have the very significant benefits of, of, of vitamin C. Brilliant. Um, and uh, you, you're starting another trial, if you weren't busy enough, uh, looking at um, vaccines and uh, improving the um, production of antibodies. 
Uh, can you tell us a bit more about that? Um, yeah, we've got sort of a bit excited about this, and we've got, we've got ten patients left in the phytov study, um, and hopefully we'll we'll get a, a, a rapid uh, publication with that soon. Um, but you know, we have actually you know hopefully moving away from um, new cases of COVID at the moment. Uh, and the big issue is, of course, will the vaccine work? Um, fortunately, the vaccine's been brilliant, and I would encourage everyone to get it, even if you don't think you're a high risk group. Uh, I've had it. I'm not sure if you've had it, but but yeah, yeah, yeah I've had my Pfizer one. Yeah. Um, but you know what the worry is with these new strains coming through, like the South African strain, the Brazilian strain, they may not be quite as fun, uh, as effective. The vaccines may not be quite as effective in that group which they're, you know, over 98% effective at the moment with the current strain. So I, we started looking at how can we enhance the effect of the the vaccine. I, I link in with um, Stacey Kenfield from Southern California and doctors from Bond University in Australia. And interestingly, they, they were telling me what they were doing and what they were advising their colleagues in the department. And that sort of got me thinking. And there's a lot of evidence actually for flu, not so much the COVID, for the flu vaccine, that if you exercise uh, in the few days before and after the vaccine, you get higher antibody titers. There's also evidence, a lot of evidence, that if you take pro, a good quality probiotic, that you get higher titers. Um, more importantly, probably, if you have good gut health, you get better titers. Uh, but that's, So that's just a correlation between the two. So um, there are actually 10 ongoing studies at the moment looking at how to enhance the antibody response. So um, so we just decided to, to, to combine that two to give the, the yogurt plus probiotic, which we, we already have in stock from the previous study, uh, and an exercise program. And it's a very simple study. We're going to randomise 50-50 and we're going to measure antibody titers six weeks later. Uh, and that would be a ni- wouldn't that be a nice little simple um, lifestyle self-help strategy, which anyone in the world can do? It would cost virtually nothing. Um, and if even if you can get a 10, 15 percent improvement in the in in the res, in the antibody response or it lasts a bit longer, that, I think that would be a very significant uh, and very practical um, message to the world. Uh, I think that would be incredible if that was the case and a very, very easy thing to do for a lot of people. Uh, and also thinking of the beneficial side effects of just those few lifestyle changes of exercise and looking after one's gut health. I'll be honest, I, I already told my my parents when they had their um, vaccines a few weeks ago um, to make sure that, um, or they exercise generally anyway, that's fine. But they had a high fiber diet um, pre and post and, and they generally do that. Um, but I also told them to, to make sure that very well rested as well. Um, I know it's not shown to be uh, as uh, statistically significant, but I think it stands to reason if you are well rested, your immune system is going to be a bit more robust and you're going to have hopefully a better and, uh, antibody response as well. Yeah, I think, I think you know, exercise in the day, but rest in the evening and, and, and get to bed early and, and try to sleep. Uh, I, I would agree yeah. with that. Uh, um but you know it's uh, but you know what we don't want people to do is is to go and have the vaccine and, and be told to take it easy and not do anything mm. which they're currently told 
Um, so actually, and, and people are worried about thromboembolism. It, it's, it's not been shown to be a significant risk factor in all the latest data. Uh, but we know that COVID increases the risk of blood clots. Um, so, you know, it makes perfect sense if you are worried about thrombotic disease, you know, not deny the vaccine, which is happening in Italy and France, is to, you know, go for a run or run to the vaccination centre and run back from it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I th- I think it's uh it- it's really worrying to see that because it's unfortunately increased vaccine hesitancy in this country even though like you said the data just does not support that. The European Medic- Medicines Agency as well was saying it's safe and the biggest risk factor for thromboembolism is of course getting covid and you know immobilization which is one of the reasons why we have so much of it um in the UK as well. Um, so, so that that will be really interesting to to look out for. So, um, how many patients are you hoping to enrol in that? Uh, well, that won't be. You won't need quite so many. Um, so, we're, we're hoping just about fifty or sixty. The statisticians working on the power calculation, as it's called. Um, you know, that's quite easy because there's no forms. You just a blood test and you get the results. So, uh, yeah, we will hopefully. Uh, the only ne- the only negative, of course, if 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 we all get vaccinated like we're doing, and I'm not saying we should slow down the vaccination programme, there might not be anyone left. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I think I think the vaccination will go part... COVID is going to be part of our annual vaccination, isn't it? Same as yeah, SARS was yeah. a couple of years ago. So even if we can't get the patients just now, we, we'll have them, you know, by the end of the year. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. but I don't, I don't feel any guilt or any reticence to saying you know the evidence so far is those two bits of advice are probably fairly sound and and safe yeah and the, and the good probiotic that was used in some of those other studies that we're extrapolating from would that would that be the same sort of probiotic that you're using in the yeah. phytov studies for, for some reason it's the lactobacillus seemed to have the, the best benefit there were a couple of studies i mean there are millions of probiotics out there you know so um mm. Uh, and a lot of them are very complicated. You know, there's there's 23 different strains. And and basically, you are never going to copy the gut microbiome with a tablet. I mean, you can if you eat some feces. Uh, and some people are doing that, which I'm not recommending to your viewers. Um, but, it, you know, a fecal transplantation is, is a medical, uh, you know, is being in study, especially in leukemics, after high dose chemotherapy, etc. But anyway, let's 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 not tell people to eat feces on your program. Um, um, but you know, all you want is you want a little bit more bacteria to start colonizing the the, the bowel. To, to make less room for the pathogenic or the pro-inflammatory bacteria. So, you know, and, and the lactobacillus are very, very good at that. They also um, break down polyphenols, which feed the gut cells. So you just want to be feeding the gut cells with butyrate and other um, byproducts of polyphenols. So we're not, you know, so therefore you don't need a, a, a very complex um, probiotic. So, uh, it's good to have, say, five or six different types, and that's what your gut plus has. And it's good to have a, a, a very safe prebiotic, and inulin is in that one. So that's the one we chose. We, you know, we don't know if that's that's the best one for COVID, but um, we, we feel based on the evidence from the vaccine studies and from the other studies, that was the best bet. And you have to be fairly pragmatic and go with what you feel is is, is, is you know the best choice definitely you know on one hand i feel super excited about all the work that you're doing in this space to give as you described simple practical advice that that could be scaled globally on the other hand 
it kind of dismays me that you're the only person really doing this in the UK at the moment. There should be multiple trials going across, going on across the country, looking at different elements of lifestyle and, and even nutritional supplement interventions to see whether they could have some improvements um, in, in whether it be vaccine antibody response or even reducing the impact of of post-viral syndromes what do you say to I, I share with you on that i mean there are if you look on um, you know the international registrations of trials um there is about 20 sort of lifestyle type trials going on a lot of them are looking at vitamin d um and some are looking at <laughs> vitamin a and e supplements which is i wouldn't agree with but it's good to research them um yeah, it is a bit of a surprise. I mean, it is incredibly difficult uh, to, to do lifestyle studies, actually. I mean, if I was to do a study on a drug with the support of a drug company, although, you know, I'm not saying they don't have enormous amounts of paperwork to do as well. But the MHRA, for example, get very confused when you talk about lifestyle or, or nutritional interventions because they don't know where to place it in, in, a, in a food. Is it, is it a drug? Um, and, you know, it, take, it took four months of battle to get through to say, look, this is not a, a licensed product. These are not patented. So at the end of the day, this these information go to the, you know, into the public knowledge and any company can make them. So, um, so the drug companies aren't interested because they can't protect the intellect. Uh, the the MHRA just don't, just just get very confused what to call it. And at the end of the day, you get into this bureaucratic and administrative circle and because uh, I've done this before, I knew the pitfalls and I was able to sort of drive it through. Uh, but it does put a lot of people off. I mean, I've had the same conversations with, with people saying that, you know, it's really hard to get them through ethics and get them approved. Uh, and I think that's the main barrier. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you could design some future trials and let's say there were like 10 or 100 of you, you know, who are just as passionate, who understand the pitfalls with MHRA and, and you know, the the bureaucratic barriers that you need to overcome. What other things do you think we should be looking at in this space of, of lifestyle and, and COVID specifically? Well, you could look at uh, di different ways to improve gut health, you know, maybe different types of, of probiotic. Um how to you know what sort of exercise you know in the duration to to the vaccine you know there, there was a study with the flu vaccine where they were actually putting people in a, in a gym and getting to weights and then be vaccinated so you know the exercise is such an enormous subject yeah. you know um so that would yeah that would be good uh dietary interventions you know where, what sort of foods uh you mentioned nitrate nitrate-rich foods. We know that nitrates open up your blood vessels, improve oxygenation. You know, maybe we should be giving people, you know, celery, beetroot smoothies, you know, when they get infected. So they, you know, there's, there's enormous amounts uh, of things we could do. But it would be nice if more... I think, as far as I know, I'm the only doctor in Britain looking at uh, nutritional interventions. There's a guy in Spain... Um, uh, two guys in Spain looking at probiotics to see, and they were giving them to health workers to see if it would prevent up, um, them catching COVID and passing it on to their families. So um, I think within, say, three or four months, there's going to be a lot of publications from around the world 
uh, hopefully showing a benefit. Yeah, that that yeah, that would be amazing. I'd love to shout about that. And if there was going to be uh, a study looking at cold and hot showers, I'd I'd opt to be in the non-intervention <laughs> arm personally. <laughs> You'll just have the hot shower um, arm on that one, will you? <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> those studies have already been done. In fact, the National Cold Institute, I always remember a paper from, from about 20 years ago where they were paid billions of pounds to try and invest it to stop people getting a cold. At the end of it, the only thing they found to be significant was hot and cold showers. So, uh, <laughs> so that has already been proven for colds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll look out for that one for sure. hope that was useful for a lot of people regardless whether of whether you have long covid or any other viral illnesses i think this information around a polyphenol rich diet could be super useful as i said at the start we're going to be chatting to prof again uh, about his new book how to live which i think is absolutely brilliant and you can find a lot of these uh at the show notes and, and the information on the study on the doctorskitchen.com forward slash podcast do check it out even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 